As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So... It, the wish list and and the abandoned cart, right? It's kind of like the maybe of the internet. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's me saying I like this thing, but not really sure I want to pull the trigger on it yet. Um, I'm going to think about it. That this is a maybe, and and more often than not, that maybe ends up being a no. But it takes a lot longer to get to that point than if I were to just close out the window. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about closing the deal in your sales. I like it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to rocketship.fm. The podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So honestly, the biggest part of closing a deal is simply just being there. So here we talked to Steli of Close.io about his philosophy on following up. Yeah, so I have a super simple philosophy to follow up. To me, it's binary. Uh, I will follow up. If we had a, a positive interaction, doesn't matter if it's in person, on the phone or via email. If, if we had some kind of a connection, I will, and you showed some level of interest, I will follow up indefinitely which means forever okay. until I get a response. And I honestly, I don't care what the response is. Yes or no are both equally good to me, right? Uh, and I think that sales or, or entrepreneurship, it's all about driving results. If you get, if you're able to drive a ton of failure really quickly, that's great. If you're able to drive a ton of success, that's awesome. Obviously, that's all, that's what we all want. But the thing where startups die and, and people are crushed is in the middle, is in the maybe zone. It's the, they kind of like what we do. I haven't heard back from them. I'll try again in a few weeks. That middle zone where nothing is happening, but hope is still alive. That's where startups die and, and sales deals die. So I have a simple philosophy. I'll follow up 
forever until I hear back from you. And Celia, this great story about following up when they were fundraising and how following up way more times than you would normally think to, you know, usually one, two, three emails, and then you're out. He follows up countless times in order to, to get an investor that he wanted to come into their round. When we raised money in the early early days, one of our billionaire investors made an introduction to another billionaire investor that's an awesome entrepreneur. He developed something all of you have used, right? We've all used. So it's very, very prominent technology. And we got an introduction kind of from, from, a, from an existing investor. That billionaire awesome guy replies and says, yes, I want to meet. And I sent that person an email saying, hey, how about Tuesday this time or Thursday that time? Hear nothing. Send another email. Hear nothing. And so each week he'd keep following up, sending up, hey, what's up? Can we meet up? How's it going? 48 emails later. The person responds and says, you know what the response was? Steli, I'm so glad you follow up. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry I haven't replied yet. I have to leave the continent. and We had some issues and challenges overseas. I'm back. Can you show up tomorrow and one payment at our office? And you probably guess what happens next. We showed up and he invested. Wow. And time and time again, I tell this story. And, and every day, every, every day where I tell this story, I get one or two emails at this point of people telling me their stories of how following up more consistently than they ever thought is possible have made magic happen, closed deals, got them press. I just got an article, a guest post on TechCrunch that I pitched seven times to TechCrunch over the last four months, right? Okay. Magic happens, magic happens when you fall off. The other, the other piece of advice that I would give people is that it's about getting the person to say yes to something. This is Perry Gorman from Archively on nurturing a sale. Like recruiting, like all these people that send job positions through email, like it, it's laughable to me. No one is going to take your email from someone they've never heard of before with a selling you a job position and be like, oh yeah, I totally am ready to leave my job. I want that job. Like that's ridiculous. Nobody does that. It's like, oh, hey, I'd love to connect with you. I thought that project that you worked on was really interesting. Love to introduce myself. Can we? talk. And then like if they're a normal human being and you've somehow appealed to something that's um, interesting or you've flattered them, people love to be flattered. If you say something nice about them in the email, they generally respond. Um, that's another trick. <laughs> um, if you tell people, wow, you know, that was so awesome. Um, they do respond. And, um, and, and really like it's, it's people are in such a rush. It's like you're in such a rush to close a deal that like you kind of turn people off from the sale when, before they've even actually heard your pitch or um, same thing with recruiting. They're all the same. Recruiting is the same as sales, is the same as networking, is the same as probably getting investors and, you know, all like it's all kind of the same. So in order to close the deal, you have to be there. And in order to be there, you have to follow up. But what should you be doing in order to close the deal? And you know, is this magic? Is this a technique? Well, when we talked to Justin Roth Marsh, the author of The Machine, which is an amazing sales book, he compared it to playing tennis. Here's what he had to say. And I would much rather des design the sales environment so that, so that the closing is implicit and there isn't the requirement to, for, for the salesperson to try and use force of will to drag someone across the line. I think people would rather be sold that way. And I think it's like um, 
I remember having a tennis coach years ago and he was trying to dissuade me from trying to hit winners. And he was saying, look, uh, most tennis players um, get a buzz out of hitting winners. He said, I get a buzz out of winning a point with an easy ball. Because if you win the point with an easy ball, it means that you've designed the point better. And if you can, if you can just you know, do a simple little drop shot or push the ball into the open court, it, it makes you a far better, it, it's, it indicates that you're a far better tennis player than somebody who can only win a, win a point when they hit a 120 mile an hour winner. And I think sales is kind of similar to that, at least in my perspective. So if we're kind of breaking this down into what makes a great pitch, we've got um, addressing addressing their interest, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. hitting the problem on the head or getting them to be excited about something they hadn't thought of. You're, you're piquing their interest. Yep. You're building a rapport. Then what? Then the second piece is qualifying. So that's where you really go in and start asking open-ended questions around the types of challenges that they're having. And all you're trying to do is um, just problem recognition, right? And, And identify any of the challenges they're having. And you're trying to uncover what their hot, hot, hot buttons are. We call them hot buttons, right? What, what are those things that is going to make their life better? And also, are they willing to make a change, right? Would they be willing to make a change? That's a huge one. Most, most salespeople skip right over it. They, what we call spray and pray. Mm-hmm. They get on the phone, they start talking, they pitch the product, never the benefit, and then they just demo and before you know it, you're you're presenting price, and then at the you know literally I, I I hear this a lot, and then five or ten minutes later go by, they've never asked the person on the other end of the phone a question to engage them, and they're like, so how does that sound? Does it sound like something you want to buy? <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a failing sales pitch, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so once you've uncovered problem and and you actually have them engaged that they would be willing to make a change, then you would go to the next step. When it comes to actually closing the deal, you're not going to be able to do it without the following information. The first is if they have that problem. And by the time you get to the point of even closing, you should have a pretty good understanding that they do in fact have this problem. The other key piece of information you really need to know is if they're willing to make a change because they may have that problem and have no intention of changing. And so if you know that they have a willingness and they have the problem, now you can move towards closing that deal. That is the biggest, one of the biggest nuggets to try to get a salesperson to have an aha moment around. If you can get them in the mindset that it's okay for someone to say, I like it, but I'm not willing to make a change now, you've just saved yourself, the salesperson, 30 minutes, an hour, more, right? It's okay. And so then you would just drop them down into not now, schedule follow-up for them into the future, right? Now is just not really a good time. Because um, the last thing you want to do is waste your time in theirs. Right. And that's that's a huge piece. Um, getting, getting salespeople to realize that that is also an okay answer, right? And that's just it. You're not going to close every sale. And the closing process should be kind of natural. And we're going to get back to that in just a second. But here, a quick word from our sponsor. Now, let's get back to the show. Um, you know, B2B sales is, is different than uh, consumer sales. This is David Warren from Leah. 
consumer sales with its you know sort of mass market advertising model. Ours is a very direct, uh, relationship-driven uh, sales process. I'll, my joke around the office is that we found a secret marketing lead gen tool. It's called Bourbon. <laughs> because we have folks in and we take them out for drinks. We figure out how to solve their problem and, and we scale from there. Old school. Old school. And really as old school as this sounds, it still works today because closing the deal is all about building the relationship to the point where the other person wants to say yes. Yes to you, yes to your app, yes to everything that you're selling and is willing to then give you a try. So if it takes bourbon, bourbon it is. Now we wanted to, to kind of close out this show with a story from Jason Lankow of Visage about how he learned sales from his father by going door to door. And now it's related to what he does today with Visage. Yeah, so I, you know, kind of when I first wanted to buy a pair of Air Jordans in elementary school and uh, you know, my parents didn't just go buy them for me and said I needed to earn the money. Um, I was like, okay, how? <laughs> and my dad basically was like, okay, you can go, you know, knock doors with me. And his dad worked for a milk delivery company in the wintertime. This is in Colorado. And so the idea was that in, you know, freezing cold, Jason was walking door to door to generate new leads for milk delivery. I was like, okay, fine. And <laughs> um, you know, I think I was like maybe 11 and which I think is prob was probably illegal too. But, and so like, I remember standing, you know, kind of like frozen uh, mentally and physically on the uh, sidewalk going like, Hey dad, like I'm not a salesperson. And he was just like, yes, you are. He's like, you're great at it. Just go do it. And I, and I was like, no, I suck at this. I don't know how to do it. And he's like, you're great. You're doing great. <laughs> and then I just like kind of, it kind of like got me over the fear, you know, like, so, and like being able to knock doors, talk to them and sell them something. And his hard work paid off, but his father was really good at selling. And I remember walking in to the dairy in, in Denver and Seeing, walking down this hall and I was like dad your name is like on all of the plaques like and he had basically been like you know salesman of the month every month and broken all of these records and, and stuff for selling and even to the extent that um, I remember him telling me that the delivery drivers were getting really pissed off at him because they were making the same amount of money but they had to deliver, you know, twice as much and sometimes three times as much milk on their routes, which was, um, so he actually ended up, uh, in some cases that, you know, he had to like do his own deliveries too, like, cause he was adding customers at such a rapid pace. And so it was like a cool thing. Cause I, uh, you know, I was like proud of that. And I, I also wanted to, learn like what he was doing but I was also really scared of it you know because I, I was like I'm not as good as you at this you know I don't know how to do this and is kind of first lesson of like you know the even just the psychology 101 of sales that it, you know so much of it just has to do with belief even if it's um, unfounded at first <laughs> you know because he's just like no you're great at this you're doing great I'm like well I haven't sold anything you've sold you know 10 of these in the last hour and 
he's like you're doing great bud just you just just keep getting up there and and it was it was just cool to um like it's a fond memory to look back even though i was usually pissed off at him for making me you know continue to do it and for that being the only way i could make money at the time but uh it was a good good lesson in just like you know pounding the pavement and figuring it out and this experience really led to how he looks at sales today and how he approaches sales at visage yeah i think it's you know even today you know there's i think most people who do sales of any kind can kind of relate to uh you sometimes end up in cycles where you're um where a lot of your business is closing and you or kicking off after you've closed and your uh, a lot of your time is dedicated to those activities and then you know you need to go replenish you, you go through other seasons where you're just needing to build pipeline and drum up new opportunities uh, and and I think that like just that instinct of of recognizing when you need to just start building more pipeline again and and hustling again and saying like okay i'm you know whatever okay i'm i'm a ceo of a company but i'm gonna like walk around in the rain from meeting to meeting in san francisco because this person i'm talking to today is going to be you know a warm opportunity next year Um, and and you just start i think that's like that hustle and and being willing to you know just hoof it around the city from meeting to meeting and I think I, I can't remember who said this but it's like you have to almost be delusional enough to think that like even though you know one out of ten or one out of five or whatever your odds are of closing a deal um, like even though you know odds are that nine out of ten people you're talking to aren't going to actually close a deal with you you have to be delusional enough to go into every single one of them thinking that it's going to work. And that's really the key right there, isn't it? Having the confidence, following up, being in the right place at the right time, making sure we're in the right place at the right time and that we're creating opportunity, that we're constantly networking, that we're getting the buy-in, that we're validating the sale, and that we're just closing the deal. And closing the deal is simply when all of those factors start to come together where we have the confidence, we have the the buy-in, we have the trust, and then we say, would you like to buy my product? And if all of those things are in line, the answer will be yes. Woo. So that wraps up another episode of our sales series. Hope you've been enjoying this. Uh, we have one more interview coming at you with Jason Lankow. You just heard a clip from really great interview on sales, but also SaaS and building a business. And then we have the conclusion of our sales series, episode five here, which is all about how you're never really done selling. You know, they, they say it's more expensive to acquire a new customer than to sell your current customer. So we're going to dig into that next week. Big thanks to our sponsor today, PipeDrive. If you go to pipedrive.com forward slash rocket ship, you'll get two months free. So, so go ahead, jump onto that. It's a fantastic tool for small sales teams with big ambitions. If you've made it this far and you haven't left us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, 
do that now. Just just stop stop what you're doing. You can hit pause. We have a little bit left, but just go leave us a review. It helps out a ton. You have no idea how much benefit you're giving us when you leave a review. And while you're at it, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I would love to hear what you think of kind of the new format. You can hit us up on Twitter at RocketShipFM. Shoot us an email, uh, team at RocketShip.FM. If you haven't checked out the new site, go to RocketShip.FM. Uh, it's all pretty straightforward. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Saka, and you can follow Joel at Joel Goldman. So we'll see you here. We have another fantastic interview on Sunday, so make sure you don't miss it. We're talking all about sales, so we'll see you in just a couple days.